Hello, and welcome along, uh, welcome back, I should say, to ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast. So you're listening to the long lost voice of ED's content director, Luke Nichols. Uh, I'm joined by the whole ED squad uh, here on our home turf in West Sussex in the UK uh, for episode 43 of the show. And we're here to bring you a podcast episode that will be more creative than the Brazil football team, more inspiring than a a Gareth Southgate team talk and far more entertaining than a a quadruple hat-trick for Harry Kane in the World Cup final. So, coming up in today's episode. It's showtime. We're casting our minds back to the ED Live exhibition in Birmingham and reliving some of the best moments from the sustainability and energy show. That includes a chat about the forgotten footprint, water, with two revered susty leaders. I think the most fundamental pillar of the business case uh, is all about business resilience. If we don't take water seriously, then we are going to suffer. It is going to impact our operation. Then we'll be chatting about sustainability superheroes with one of the event chairs. Heroes are optimistic Mm. and positive. Mm. So one of the big aspects of being a a hero or a heroine for sustainability is to be the person who holds the fact that this is solvable. And we'll be talking about why generation in a fascinating panel discussion uh, about the future of sustainability with an inspiring youth advisory panel. If we are to make some really bold decisions, Young, the younger generation and business are going to need to know where each other stands and they're going to need to trust in each other. And of course we'll be having some of our own fun here in the studio with our usual podcast features uh, and a World Cup sustainability quiz, so listen out for that. So yes, uh, good afternoon, um, good morning or I suppose good evening depending on when you're listening to us, if there is any evening listeners, hello. Uh, and welcome along to episode 43 of our Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Uh, So if you haven't already guessed, uh, we're recording this episode on Thursday the 14th of June, which is of course the first day of the the FIFA World Cup, hence those uh, lame puns in the introduction at at the beginning there. Uh, And I think uh, it's quite a fitting occasion to be hosting this podcast actually, I was thinking about this, because really what we have here in front of me is a a young up-and-coming team, um, which perhaps has been calling out for that experienced leader to to take them onto new heights. Uh, so I've decided to make my long-awaited return to the podcast. I think, um, trying to come up with a good analogy, I think Terry Venables um, coming out of retirement to reinvigorate uh, a struggling England team. Uh, but no, no, I'm kidding, of course, you haven't been struggling. Um, you've done a fantastic job without me over the past few months. Uh, I had a look at the archives earlier and actually surprised to see it was episode 26 that I was last on the show, so an awful lot has happened uh, while I've been away. Um, won't ask you to fill me in now, but it's probably worth me finally introducing everyone else in the room. It's a long, long introduction. So uh, joining me here in this makeshift studio are two people that have been described um, by no one other than me as the Ronaldo and Messi of the... Uh, the sustainability podcasting world. We have senior reporter Matt and insight editor George. How are we both? Who's who? I'd like to think of us more of as Javi and Iniesta, wouldn't you? I, I always have myself down as a bit of a vex, you know, type of, you know, crack under pressure and kick Diego Simone when things aren't going my way. But I'll take, I'll take, a, I'll take the Ronaldo tag on that. Although you're taller than me, so probably. Probably you. Okay, well, um, yeah, I presume you've missed my long introductions like that and waiting for who you're going to be being called. I think we were usually done with recording by, by now, isn't it? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it? <laughs> Good, well, um, and I did say this is obviously a very special episode indeed because I'm delighted to be able to welcome our, uh, our latest signing uh, for the show. So, hello, welcome along to the show, Sarah. 
Hello. So you're on your reporter. How are you feeling about this art? This is your first podcast experience. Scary, have you done this before? Um, I've never been behind the mic on a podcast. been listening to them for a long time, so it's pretty interesting to sort of see behind the veil. Okay. And, um, yeah, and I think uh, we didn't give you a sort of football player association there, actually, I just realised. So what, what do we think? Like a kind of, maybe like a Marcus Rashford? Mm. Someone that's sort of up and coming. Could be the thing that we need. Could sort of be the thing that take us into a new direction. Not a bad shout. Not yeah. Bad shout. Well, uh, there we go. That's the sporting introductions out of the way. So let's get on with the show. Now, um, Matt, in my return, you're going to be sort of, uh, structurally, I think things are going to be a bit different. So um, I guess if we were to stick with the footballing thing, you'd be the assistant manager or perhaps the club secretary, depending on how you wanted to look at it. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take assistant <laughs> manager in that case. More, more on you the might. pitch aspect of it, yeah. So you're going to be the one keeping us in check. You're going to be the editor of the show from here on, I believe. So... Uh, come on then, Matt, where are we going to be going with this episode? So, I mean, there's only one place we can really go with it to start with, and that's back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're heading back to um, a, a week or two ago now, and to our flagship um, event, which of course was EG Live. And Luke has mentioned his his absence, and it wasn't without reason. He's been um, <clears throat> slaving away, essentially. Not yeah. at his desk at, at all, really. It was... Uh, we didn't really recognise you when you came. Finally, came back and, and yeah. sat down in your chair. I've been but, um, deep been underground, working, working very hard on on ED Live and um, I suppose the overarching theme mm. of ED Live, which I mean I could do my best to describe. I suppose it comes best from from the person who's birthed <laughs> yeah. it. Has it been mentioned on this podcast <clears throat> before? Mission Possible and what it stands for, the campaign. I'm sure listeners must have. We 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 brought it up. Um, it's as as its name, but I I think um, we haven't. We haven't spoiled it as such because obviously the launch, the official mm. launch um, of, of the report was was in Birmingham at the NEC. Mm. So we, we kind of, we, we teased we teased the listeners a little bit, got got their appetite nice and wet for this. So Yeah, so, um, okay, so for anyone that hadn't doesn't know Mission Possible, I guess it's kind of where have you been for the last few months if you haven't visited Edie, but uh, this is basically our sustainable business campaign, which we launched. We launched it at the very kind of beginning of the year, and then it, but it was all building up to a, report launch and lots of event happenings at ED Live. Um, it's all about basically inspiring sustainability professionals, energy professionals to take new actions, be a bit bolder in achieving a sustainable future for their business. Um, and the various features we had included, it was already sort of coming out of my mind, it was a few weeks ago, but we had, you know, the workshops, didn't we, that worked really well. So getting sustainability leaders to co-create different futures and um, responses to particular challenges. The My highlight was the pledge wall at ED Live. I thought that went down really well. Mm-hmm. So this was a started as a blank canvas at the start of day one. It was a little bit scary because it took a while to fill up. But we got people kind of pledging and putting new commitments onto post-it notes and sticking them on the wall. So by the end of it, we had this nice multicoloured wall and that was something you were looking after after a little bit George weren't you yeah that's right that's right um yeah it was really good to see actually you know as you said it was off to a slow start but then people were looking at the wall and there were pledges being made throughout the day uh, nice packed wall over the course of the two days which is brilliant to see and I think the important thing now is how we take this on yeah. um because we've got those pledges made now we need to Make sure that people stick to them. You know, they didn't just put them there because they were given the, given the cupcake. At the yeah. End of it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. There was a few real highlights. There, wasn't there? there was like a science based target that hadn't been announced. There was some carbon reduction targets in there that stood out. So, anyway, I guess stay tuned, isn't it? Because you're 
you're going to be covering that editorially over the next couple of weeks, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. And I believe maybe a pledge of yours on that sustainability award is going to be perhaps to take it a little bit easier on weekends, considering that. Um, yeah. Husky voice. I, I think, think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> leaders, uh, listeners may be able to hear that. And I've got a bit of slightly uh, bedraggled tone. If we go with the football analogies, less Thierry Henry and more Sean Dyche. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have to bear with me. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Um, so, uh, right, so ED Live is what we're talking then for this episode. Um, where are we kind of starting? Who, I mean, we mentioned the interview about the Forgotten Footprint. So who took that on and where are we at in the day in the show? Um, yeah, so that was me. Um, so we're winding back now. This was uh, back in the first day of ED Live. Um, and this was outside the Resource Efficiency Theatre. And I met up with, as you said, two revered speakers, two great um, panellists on this um, on this particular panel. Um, so we had William Jackson Food Group Sustainability Di- Director, Gavin Milligan, and uh, Adnam's Head of Sustainability and Finance, Richard Carter, plus a, uh, a special cameo from Adnam's Environmental Sustainability Manager and ED Award winner, uh, Ben Orchard. So this conversation essentially was about the importance of making water a, a, a key sustainability priority mm-hmm. and um, basically how this can be achieved through various mechanisms like of use of life cycle analysis and aligning targets to the um, sustainable development goals. Um, so it's a very interesting topic. As you said, it's probably one of the forgotten subjects when it comes to sustainability. It is, yeah, and that's probably part of the reason, Matt, why we've selected it to go first in this podcast episode because it needs to be talked about a little bit more, doesn't it? Particularly, as you mentioned, sustainable development is critical to a number of those goals. So uh, great stuff. Well, here's uh, George's uh, watery chat with Gavin Milligan and Richard Carter at ED Live in full. Uh, so we're at the end of day one, uh, ED Live. Um, just been sat in a session, um, resource efficiency stage, uh, recognising the true value of water. And with me, we've got uh, two of the panellists uh, from a, what was described as an illustrious panel, uh, and I'd be inclined to agree with that. Um, so we have Gavin Milligan, Sustainability Director at William Jackson, we've got Richard Carter, Head of Finance and Sustainability at Adnams, and we also have um, Environmental Sustainability Manager Ben Orchard at Adnams, uh, an ED Sustainability Leaders Award winner in our midst, in fact. Um, so before we start talking about the, um, the theatre that we've just been in, the session, uh, perhaps uh, get some of your thoughts on the, on the day at ED Live. Um, saw you Richard uh, in various uh, roles today you were facilitating workshops you were on panels you, uh, you seemed like you were you were you were everywhere so if you had any anything to uh, say in terms of any key takeaways from the day any 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 seminars or workshops that stood out for you I think for me one of the, the, the really big benefits of today has been the opportunity to talk to such a wide range of people uh, so yes, yeah, so I've been talking about uh, water efficiency, I've been talking about behaviour change, I've been talking about waste in, in supply chain. Now you mentioned that my role is finance and, and sustainability, so I confess I'm a bit of a geek, a bit of a, a nerd, so I think the behaviour change workshop was really, really helpful for, for me uh, in making some of the changes that, that Ben and I know we've got to do. Mm-hmm. And do you have anything in particular? Well, at the risk of sounding boring, I'd have to echo very much what Richard says, that the most interesting uh, feature of events like this, I think, is that the opportunity to speak to people from other sectors that you don't normally necessarily get to see and hear, 
and understand that their challenges, actually very often the same challenges. We all think we sit within our own sectors, Richard and I, clearly both in food and drink, uh, but I've spoken to people from a number of other areas through the course of today, and the challenges are the same, which I suppose from one perspective is uh, a little disappointing, but from the other perspective it means that the opportunities for collaboration may be broader than they would otherwise see. Mm. Um, just a, a point from that last session that we were sat in, um, we're talking about building the business case for water efficiency and uh, it struck me that both companies, you know, William Jackson and Adnams, you know, long-standing firms with, with a good um, commitment to sustainability, uh, probably makes the job a bit easier in terms of uh, getting the boardroom buy-in for water efficiency. Um, especially when you have, uh, you know, the combined role of finance and uh, sustainability. Uh, what about what would your message be to you know businesses who don't have that same level of, of buying? You know, less established companies, perhaps. Um, how would you go about convincing the boardroom that you know water is an issue that um, that needs our attention? I'll put that out to whoever wants to answer first. <laughs> Gavin's pointing at me, so I'll, I'll have a go. Because well, you're a finance guy. <laughs> I think that we mustn't um, we mustn't ignore the moral imperative here. You know, philosophically, this is a, a really fundamental point that the human race has got to get to grips with. Mm. However, one of the fastest ways for us to do that is to articulate the business case for sustainability. I think the most fundamental pillar of the business case uh, is all about business resilience. If we don't take water seriously then we are going to suffer. It is going to impact our operations. Uh, it is either going to cause us problems in the future or it is going to stop us from developing and launching new products. And uh, uh, Gavin, you got anything to add on that? It's like that um, thing before the election, wasn't it? I agree with Nick. No. <laughs> I agree with, who is he now? Yes, I agree with Richard. I, I think building on that, I, I, I fully accept the point that we, we have to take a a broader view than just immediate finance but if you can't make an economic case that's clearly going to hamper what you do but there are things that companies do that stretch out over the longer term talent development or pension mm. funds or whatever it may be so it's not wholly unknown in the world of business to take a long view and I think also one of the, the challenges that we have is to manage the intergenerational shift where we have customers or citizens, employees, wherever we, we encounter them, who have a different worldview maybe to people from, from 20, 30 years ago. And there are, I think, good case studies that we can find either in our own industries or beyond where risk and opportunity around something that seems relatively abstruse like water can actually be brought home. So do your homework and go and find those examples and speak to your audience in the language they expect to hear. Mm. I would perhaps add to that, inadvertently, consumers the general public and so on, may in fact be being short-termists themselves without realising. So most of us here have got pensions. Do we really know where they're invested? Uh, and if they are invested in, in, in companies that are looking to make a, a short-term return, perhaps we should be doing something about that as individuals. Mm. Um, in your uh, presentation, you're talking about some of the tools that you used, um, uh, Richard, to, to help you in your water efficiency drive, you talked about life cycle analysis. Would you say that was a good starting point for any businesses starting on their water efficiency journey? Yeah, for us it's, it's been really, really useful because it gives us a, a complete oversight of the, of the product. In our case, from growing the grain 
all the way through to the, the glass. I think there are other tools as well. The three that perhaps we found most useful are life cycle analysis, uh, circularity, or as I like to refer to it, spaghettiarity, because it's not as, as clean and well planned as uh, maybe sort of consultants and academics may have us believe. Uh, and thirdly, environmental gearing, uh, which is a, a financial concept that I think applies very, very well to uh, environmental sustainability. And that's about understanding the fixed versus variable impacts that you're having. If you understand your fixed and, and variable impacts, you can actually make some very significant business efficiencies very, very quickly. You touched upon the uh, SDGs. Uh, two of the SDGs, forgive me if I'm wrong, SDG 14, SDG 6. That's correct, yes. Touch upon the Life water. below water and clean water and sanitation, that's, respectively. That's right. Um, so how important would you say is the, the SDGs, you know, as a tool to, to look for those risks and opportunities? Uh, and would you, I suppose you would advocate finding areas that are important to you and your stakeholders when it comes to um, water efficiency? Well the SDGs are important in two ways. I think firstly because they are a system and these things need to be viewed as systems problems. In mm. Richard's presentation he talked about squeezing the balloon and it bulges out somewhere else mm. and that's what happens when you perturb a system. You will have outcomes that are not what you intended or not what you seek. doesn't mean they're not predictable and what the SDGs do is, is provide a focus. They've been put together and presented in a way that may be a little more opaque than some people would like, but they provide a lens through which you can see and think about those risks and opportunities. So they have that value generally from a system perspective. And they also provide a common framework of language. So everybody can talk about water risk or any other type of risk or opportunity in the same way and can convene around the same set of arguments and understand them quite quickly. So they have a, a dual value in and we're all feeling a bit tired. I've just heard on the tannoy that there's free drinks available at the back of the bar. So um, I think that's it for now. So thank you very much, guys. Thank you, George. Thanks. Well, there you go. Uh, thank you to Gavin, to Richard and for George for, for that chat. Um, yeah, conversation really, as we said at the start, critical and important in terms of making water a strategic priority. Talk there of life cycle analysis, aligning those targets to SDGs. So really, really good to hear. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, we had World Oceans Day recently as well, um, and it was it was kind of dwarfed in prominence by the, the kind of ocean plastics issue, but World Oceans Day wasn't just about the plastics aspect of it. It was appreciating, I suppose, um, this kind of natural resource and how businesses should be interacting with it. I mean, since then, we've had kind of had this sustainable business plan where likes of Total... <clears throat> Statoil, which I believe is now called Equinor, mm -hmm. um, kind of all signing up to this to make the oceans more healthy and um, and just a, an overall better appreciation of of water as a natural resource mm -hmm. and the need to I suppose embed it as part of a, a circular economy. I mean, it's it, water stress is is prevalent here, like London's mm -hmm. like top, isn't it top like the fifteen twenty something? I think like it's higher. Yeah, yeah I think it's like the fifth up. most. Yeah. Or am I jumping? Is that <clears> not? Water. I'm pretty sure I saw mm -hmm. something where it's like the fifth most water stressed city. Or it's something definitely, like it's definitely up there. Yeah. Might be wrong, so don't take my word on that. But anyway. um, okay. Well, uh, hopefully we've wet the appetite there, and so let's keep the interviews flowing. Any credit for those two, two little puns there, Matt? So, uh, Matt, where are we going next? We are. We're carrying on, obviously, with the ED Live theme, and I think one of the biggest successes of ED Live was the <clears throat> engagement, and I suppose how well the chairs. 
across mm. the theatres really um, drove conversation. It wasn't just a couple of speakers presenting what their businesses are doing. It, it was it was a conversation. It was addressing key challenges. And um, one person who I thought really stood out there was um, Futera's co-founder, Solitaire yeah. Townsend. Yeah. I um, was fortunate enough to sit on the uh, Mission Possible sofa alongside her and Anita Longley from the ICRS. Does, do people know what the Mission Possible sofa is? I mean, they should, because it's on the website. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, for, those, for those who don't, it's essentially, um, I believe you pitched it to me as our great Milton-esque. Um, yeah, you played um, Graham Norton, <clears throat> didn't you, the two days? Very well, may I add, I thought. <laughs> and um, we essentially sat down with some of the leading lights of sustainability and just got them to talk about some key aspects mm-hmm. of their industry or, or, or aspects they're focused on in particular. Yeah. And Solitaire and Futera are really trying to mobilise the next generation of sustainability leaders and trying to ignite change in the current ones. Mm. That's the impression I get anyway. <clears throat> and I did see um, towards the end of the day that George was lucky enough to, to grab five, ten minutes with her. That's right. That was uh, right at the end of the day, um, on the second day of ED Live. And uh, she'd just come off stage and I could see the passion in her eyes. She was she was mm. so excited by everything that was going on. You know, she's like, oh, I... You can see it that the um, it's really tangible that people are getting the mm. whole agenda now. Um, mm. So I, I spoke to her um, on various various topics. Um, obviously, you said she she was at the chair at the event, mm-hmm. so I asked her her thoughts on that. Um, I asked her for her thoughts on you know what what skills are needed to be a sustainability hero, and um, indeed how sustainability leaders are at risk of being stuck in this echo chamber as such. Um, so yeah, I mean, when when you think of uh, what it is to become like a sustainability hero, you think of being, being a good storyteller, um, winning friends, influencing people, mm-hmm. uh, innovating, knowing your audience, and uh, showing people the money. These these are the kind of things that I think are, are particular traits of a sustainability leader. But um, mm-hmm. these are all things that Solitaire touches on in that interview, and it's a, it's a really good chat. Good. Well, you've certainly roused us. So uh, let's hear George's chat with at Futera's co-founder Solitaire Townsend in full. The end of uh, another action-packed day at ED Live. I'm joined here by Solitaire Townsend from Futuria. It's uh, it's great to have you here. Um, you yourself have been uh, chairing a couple of uh, um, sessions today. Yeah. Uh, how have you found it? So um, I started cha- chairing at uh, 9:45 this morning. It's now pushing four o'clock. It's been quite a day. And I have to say, I've been working in this sector for 20 years. It takes quite a lot to keep my attention. Mm. And I've kept my attention all the way through. It's been a really fantastic set of speakers and engagements and surprises. Excellent. Uh, well, uh, we've got a couple of uh, ED branded uh cakes here i think we both uh, earned it deserve that i deserve that thank you very much 100 <laughs> um so uh, your, your first session i think i'm right in saying we was talking about um you know how we need to encourage businesses more businesses to to join the green industrial revolution were, there, were any key points from that session yes so we started out with some really great insights um uh, around what it what it takes as a leader and in fact that's been a real theme through today um, not just organizational change but what we as leaders of change what it takes so in our first sessions um, we had some great speeches um, uh, and we came to the conclusion that we were in a little bit of uh, echo chamber mm. so we then really excitingly uh, actually asked the audience okay. what we could do to get out of the echo chamber 
and some some fantastic uh, suggestions. So from read something you wouldn't usually read. If you're a Guardian mm. reader, read the Daily Mail. If you're a Daily Mail reader, try the Guardian. Through to volunteering, because volunteering is a great way to actually go and meet folks from a different different part of the world, different way of living than the way that you're living, mm. um, to actually bringing different viewpoints into your organisation. So set up an advisory group, but not an advisory group of sustainability experts, you're probably already a sustainability expert yourself, set up an advisory group of consumers, of advocates, of community leaders, of, um, of the folks who you wouldn't usually get to hear from. So that was a fantastic session and I love the fact that it was co-created <laughs> with the speakers and the audience. That is, uh, that's a really interesting point because you do seem sometimes to get stuck into a routine. You mentioned reading the same newspapers all the time. Sometimes you just need to, uh, you know, experiment and make a change and then you'll see things from a different point of view. That's, it's also an interesting point that you, that you made about you know, di making dif different pledges. We've got the pledge rule behind yeah. us here, the ED it's pledge rule. Um, I myself have pledged to uh, cycle to work uh, over the next few months. I don't know if you've uh, had the chance to make I haven't them. pledged yet. I shall have to think about what I would pledge to do. Mm. Um, but no, our first session with um, Mike Hansen um, from Baxter Story mm. and Anita Longley, who's the chair of the ICRS, which is the professional body yeah. for sustainability folks, and the audience in session one. I have to say they've got my thanks. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and it, uh, the uh, point of like encouraging businesses to join the green industrial revolution, I mean, it, it might be more difficult, you know, for smaller companies or companies without the same resources as, as major firms. So how do we, you know, make the sustainability uh, agenda more relevant for these kind of businesses? So that was another big theme of today, mm. but I think that we saw it a little bit differently. Mm. We didn't see small businesses as not having the capability of mm. doing sustainability. We actually saw small businesses as being the ones who might find entrepreneurialism on sustainability easier. So when you think about uh, how we're going to make the sustainability change that we need, we need the really big, incumbent, large, multinational businesses to change. But that can be, as been said many times before, like trying to ch turn a massive tanker. Mm. You change the steering wheel, but it's going to take a while before you even get an inch of change. Whereas small businesses are often more fleet of foot, they have less sunk capital costs, um, they have less resources, mm. um, but they also have a drive towards entrepreneurialism. It's easier to take decisions. And when you think about uh, about the challenges that we're facing, we actually need a lot of new solutions. Mm. We, we can't do it with the solutions we already have on the table. There's going to be need to be inventions. There's going to need, need to be sourcing. And even sitting here in ED, which in the trade show, mm. walking around, seeing the sort of the massive stands by some of the biggest companies, mm. and they're sort of giving away cupcakes and yeah. mugs, etc. And then you've got sort of the smallest stands, which might be just sort of like one woman and a, and a laptop. And you go, God, in five years' time, are they going to have swapped places? Mm. Because the sustainability imperative, the new industrial revolution, gives as many opportunities, if not more, to small businesses to innovate and to capture market share as it does to big businesses. No, I, I full, um, fully agree with that and just wholeheartedly see that, that you know, there's, there's a lot that these bigger companies can learn from smaller companies with more you know, entrepreneurial in the spirit. It's a, definitely a great point there. Um, so another session that you sat on um, was related to, uh, you know, the powers of a sustainability hero. Um, so if we're looking, you know, 
unleashing the next wave of sustainability leaders, what would you say are the two, main two or three skills needed to be uh, a leader in sustainability? So we had great speakers from young people. We had a group of millennials who came in to speak. We had Katie Leggett from Innocent Drinks talking about how she has encouraged her own teams inside Innocent to be heroes themselves. And of course, I spoke about my book, The Happy Hero, How to Change Your Life by Changing the World. And the conclusions that we came to is that heroes are optimistic Mm. and positive. Mm. So one of the big aspects of being a, a hero or a heroine for sustainability is to be the person who holds the fact that this is solvable. Mm. So when everybody else is going through their guilt phase or their stress phase or their depressed phase about whether it's possible to make sustainability happen, you hold on, you hold the door open to the light Mm. that actually it always feels impossible until it's done. Mm. Sorry, I'm quoting Nelson Mandela Mm. there. So that's the really big one, to stay positive. The other one is to stay connected. So Mm. a massive, another massive theme was collaboration through today. So to reach out to reach out to your peers inside your business to reach out beyond your business to your peers to reach out to unlikely allies to to find the folks who are going to support you in that change so optimism and uh, collaboration were the two big themes of how to be a real hero for sustainability well i'm feeling more inspired just by this conversation oh great there you go guys optimism and collaboration that's the that's the key to becoming a sustainability hero thank you very much for your time solitaire thank you so much george it's been a great day thank you very much uh, to solitaire uh, we had some great feedback as george mentioned and you're right george we could really hear uh, um yeah enthusiasm enthusiasm passion for the subject coming through there so uh, a very welcome addition to the ed live agenda so thanks to her yeah, um, like I said, when I was interviewing on the on the Mission Possible sober as well, it, it's exactly as you described. It. There's this there's this aura around her, and there is this tangible like excitement, mm-hmm. and not just through her beliefs, but when she speaks to other people, they they seem to kind of be like, re reinvigorated about the whole kind of subject of sustainability, which is um, really really beneficial skill to have. That that's probably a superior skill I hadn't really mm-hmm. seen before, um, and. And it, it it kind of really resonated with me with the that chat just then the um, the whole concept of, of an echo chamber. Mm. It's something um, that a lot of events I've been to and in the past, even some events have been verging on becoming a bit of an echo chamber where the same people uh, are talking about the same stuff and there's no there's no yeah. outside voice coming in, mm-hmm. um, sort of challenging them. And yeah, them. exactly. Which I think we're at the state. Of sustainability now where we need those challenging people to come in and, and ask different questions for different mm. societal needs mm. um, and it, it links really nicely actually to um, the only interview I did for this podcast episode actually <laughs> um, and it was also um, Sarah's first kind of taste of a, of a live live podcast interview in that sense and because um, directly after that last session when George uh, managed to grab some time to tear the session before that was Global Action Plan. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, their senior partner, Chris Large, had brought um, their youth advisory panel to the event to you know, give sustainability professionals a different perspective. Okay. Um, so their presentation involved a, involved a sustainability prenup that they wanted businesses to sign. It's, it's really interesting. I won't go too much into it now because it, it kind of gets explained... In, okay. the, in the interview but it was it was really fresh and I sat in on that session and you'd see um, sustainability professionals from the likes of um, PepsiCo mm. um, uh, just sitting in the audience and just 
you know, mesmerised by what these people and these these, these young youth advisory panel they're they're still in they're still in college or university, mm. so they're they're the ones that are going to come in and disrupt this echo chamber mm. that that is potentially happening right now. Um, and so I managed to grab some time with Chris um, and three of the youth advisory panel: uh, Victoria Luby, Lawrence Taylor, and Emma Thompson, who all kind of have different passions in kind of different areas and different sectors mm-hmm. that are all acutely aware that sustainability is their passion as well. Um, and so myself and Sarah sat down with those three and Chris just to discuss what it is that Global Action Plan are trying to do and, and discuss a little bit of what the sustainability professional of the future looks like. Okay, well I'm interested to hear Sarah's feedback on this. So why don't we play the interview first and then we'll have a little chat about ourselves about sustainability superheroes. Uh, So here's uh, Matt and Sarah's chat with Global Action Plan's Youth Advisory Panel in full. Hello everyone, Uh, Matt Mace speaking here and um, I've just been handed a prenup which is a a first for me. Uh, Chris, I'm not going to (laughs) lie, I thought we were closer than this but um, fair enough and and you will um, get to know that. So what is happening here is I'm with uh, Global Action Plan um, and Chris Large, uh, an ED regular um, as of so, so, Chris, um, before we introduce the other people on the table, why, why have I been given a prenup? Could you, could you expand on this, please? Well, uh, what we've been doing with Global Action Plan is looking at the leadership we need to take us forward into the 21st century. There's some really stark uh, facts at the moment that we are not making progress quickly enough. The Committee on Climate Change's review of the UK's carbon budgets shows that by 2028 we're going to be off. Mm-hmm. the projected uh, trajectory we need to be on. Um, we're okay until then in terms of meeting carbon budgets, but after 2028 domestic emissions will um, will no longer be on track to meet the 2050 targets. And we're also finding that we will need to be reducing our carbon footprint from being at about 15 tonnes per person as it is at the moment to about 2 tonnes oh, wow. per person. Yeah. So like a 90% a big, reduction big job, yeah. um, in the next 20 years. So. It's no longer enough for incremental change uh, to be to be discussed. We really need to uh, uh, to be upping our game. There's a few things that we need to do. Innovation is going to be crucial for sustainability leadership in the future. We need radically new ideas about how we travel around our cities, mm-hmm. how we travel between cities, how we build homes, how we use materials, upcycling as well as recycling. Um, we also need to make some really bold decisions. If we're going to make a 90% reduction in carbon um, footprint per head, we've got some very tough decisions to be making. We might need to bring forward, for example, the decarbonisation of transport. Um, I think, most importantly, we need to have an attractive future. There needs to be something that really pulls us forward, Mm -hmm. that's going to be powerful enough as an incentive to make these changes. Um, So we need to ditch some of the old 20th century ways of living and have a really powerful uh, vision for the 21st century. Um, So that leads us on to the Youth Advisory Panel, which, I was, I was uh, which going we to set ask, up yeah, last year. I was going to ask these people, I thought they were lawyers for the prenup thing, but it's clear <laughs> that it's not. So um, yeah, perhaps um, we could get some introductions um, from this Youth Advisory Panel and a bit about what it is that you're doing with Global Action Plan. So if we just go, we're in a very tight little circle here around a chair in the middle of a live audience, so perhaps if we go around and just introduce yourself. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm Emma, I am doing Environment, Politics and Society at Edinburgh University. Okay. Hi, I'm Victoria and I'm studying um, a Master's in Climate Change and Environmental Policy. Oh, that was like University Challenge. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm Lawrence and I'm a Geography graduate and I currently work in a tech firm. Okay, well brilliant. And um, there is obviously someone else at the table. I, I brought my own uh, legal representative as well. Great, I great. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, so, Edie has um, 
recruited a new reporter at long last, long overdue. So, um, and it's my pleasure to officially welcome her to the podcast, uh, Sarah George. Why don't you um, introduce yourself? What, uh, how long have you been at ED4 and what was it you were doing before? Oh, it sounds like a confessional. Hi, yeah. my <laughs> name's Sarah and I've been at ED for four weeks, um, moving into B2B news from local news. Brilliant. And, I mean, so, yeah, we're, we're here to talk about the future of sustainability, what it looks like at a business level yeah. and at a personal level. So I thought a good place to start would be with Sarah. You've been, um, you've been in this sector for around about a month now, so it's still a relatively new aspect to you. But in, yeah. in your, I suppose, um, fresh take on it, what does a sustainability look like to you? Um, so before I started, I thought of sustainability as just sort of making a move to do something, something a little bit better. Um, but now, researching a bit more about the current situation which we find ourselves in and the trajectory which we are on, um, I see now that sustainability truly means doing everything you can, not just something. So it's um, innovation and transformation rather than just small actions, even though that is a good place to start. Chris, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that we absolutely need, we need to do absolutely everything, mm-hmm. absolutely everything. I think that's why that's why we asked our youth panel to put together this 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 prenup. If we are to make some really bold decisions, um, young the younger generation and business are going to need to know where each other stand, and they're going to need to trust in each other. Mm. And so that's the whole idea behind a prenup to try and get down on paper. Um, some ground rules for engagement between young people and businesses Um, and this came out of the ED Sustainability Leaders Conference where we ran four workshops with um, businesses and representatives from our youth panel and they got a lot of ideas out of that and they've they've put it now into eight points for the the young people Mm. and business premium. So, um, and going over to um, the advisory board, so whoever wants to answer it, feel free. Um, so I've looked, down, I've looked down the list of what businesses will need to do um, in the sustainable future. And um, I was quite surprised, it just seems like being a decent human being. Like, there's honesty, there's a, a willingness to listen, having a real purpose and substance, and the idea that you can work together. So how did you decide that these targets were necessary and why they aren't in place right now? I think we just came up with them after a discussion, um, obviously looking at the current state of corporations. Mm. They don't necessarily have that much incentive, to be honest, um, to listen or to have substance. So we thought maybe this is something we should should give them and make them aware of. Yeah, it sounds like you're trying to give businesses more personality, which I suppose consumers can then resonate uh, and better with. And I suppose on a a personal level, it would be great to get um, from, from all three of you your your reasons for for needing this change. Like what what gets you up in the morning to go and do do stuff like this? Out. What's your what's your purpose that you're you're trying to deliver a better planet and you know that business have a part to play? Yeah, it's it's um, for me. It's all to do with like um, emissions and climate change. And I think businesses absolutely do have um, a part to play in that. They they need to be committed to kind of changing the current situation. And it's not just about you know, investing in like the odd project. It's mm. about taking on a sustainable ethos and then making that resonate throughout their entire operation. Um, you know, sustainability is often talked about a goal, which is something that can be attained when in reality it's an ongoing thing. Like it will take innovation for the rest of you know our lives to be able to keep going and make keep making things sustainable. Like it's not an end goal, it is something that needs to be ongoing. 
Definitely, and, and so uh, Chris, with this with this kind of business mm -hmm. prenup, what's you know we we've got it in front of us now. What's the next plan? What what happens with this? Well, we have to get it out there to businesses. We have to get their reaction to it. We have to see whether they think that uh, this is something they they should be signing up to, something mm. they could sign up to. Um, it's a thought piece to begin with. It helps people think differently. Um, we just we just ran the session there in the um, keynote theatre at ED Live, and there was a really interesting question from the audience, particularly about fast fashion. When Emma was talking about that as a, a, a passionate subject for hers that she would like to see improvement mm. in, um, what uh, the, the question was about whether um, we can just change the way that we provide the current amount of clothing that we provide or whether we really have to see a drop in the number of items of clothing being consumed. Um, and the, the response from, from Emma picked on the fact that um, one side of it feels easier, changing just what goes on behind the scenes, changing the manufacturing processes, feels like it's more under control and easier. Changing the demand side feels like it's it seems to require action from both sides. It seems to require young people to go, actually, yeah, we're buying too much stuff. And also businesses to stop foisting um, forward and really buying into this fast fashion world where maybe you do only wear one item of clothing once, um, which almost feels like um, we're getting pushed towards in some of the advertising that we see. Um, maybe it'd be useful, Emma, to just think about some of the things that you see going on that might be business practices that we would like, like to see stopped. Yeah, so I think particularly that continuous like seasonal clothing and how there seems to be a new season of clothing five times a year, not just four or twice. Um, so I think that that kind of continually bringing out new clothes and the adverts on TV and on Facebook and on Instagram and on websites and everywhere you look, I think that that's kind of bombarding young people and people in general with this idea that, oh, if you don't have this new item of clothing, you won't be as cool as your friends or you won't look as good as you could look. And I think kind of fashion is increasingly thought as something that like empowers people, but I'm not sure that it actually is empowering people because people feel they have to listen to what these brands are saying. Um, right, and that's not what fashion should be, is it? No. Fashion, I don't think that's how. That's what um, people going to design college and fashion school are really doing is trying to work out how to get uh, young people to buy as many items of three-pound cardigans as they possibly can. What, what's fashion really about? I think it's kind of what well, I use it to express not just me as a person but kind of my values about things so I don't shop at most shops because I don't necessarily agree with their ethics and I think that when it's like a good conversation topic so it kind of it's not just about the actual clothes but it's about what the clothes mean so for me that's what fashion is it's got kind of the holistic image about it. It's, it's not necessarily just confined to fashion either. Um, listening to talk launch, you mentioned you're, you're quite interested in the kind of tech sector, and I suppose um, what Emma said about having the latest range of stuff applies completely to, to the smartphone world as well. So, um, what is it? What is it that kind of interests you about that, and, and what's wrong with that kind of sector at the moment in regards to sustainability? I think the biggest issue I have is the complete disconnect between the new device and the, the kind of fancy box, mm. or the sleep marketing on um, Apple, for example. The device is incredible. Apple's like the Apple Store looks incredible. Mm. Um, you're just so dis disconnected from the supply chain. It barely even enters your mind, kind of the raw materials involved in creating that device. Um, so I think that's the main issue. I think it's just kind of bridging that disconnect between 
the device in your hands and what's actually gone into producing it. No, I think I, that's what I like about this prenup is it's not just uh, it's not just businesses you need to change. Uh, it's, it's an understanding that the, the consumer. Um, I suppose the consumer prototype needs to change as well, it needs to evolve, it needs to think that long term, it needs to be more conscious. I mean when I started at ED, which is almost three years ago, I didn't know much about sustainability and I, I still have kind of revelations when I, I step into my car and there's some plastic bottles on the floor, I'm, like, I'm not doing very well here. Um, and Sarah, you've been here for a month, have you had any kind of openers yet and you think, oh wow, sustainability um, is affecting like this aspect of, of what I purchase in a way I haven't thought that before? Yes, definitely. I mean, yesterday I used the first package-free shampoo that I've ever had in my life, so the job is definitely seeping into my sort of everyday life. But that's also why I like the job in understanding the role that not just the big businesses, but also the individual has to play. As an individual, it can be, feel a bit fruitless taking a short shower or carrying a reusable coffee cup when you know that big businesses aren't making similar efforts when they have so much more of a footprint that they can mm. alter. So I think that that, that partnership is essential. And, uh, and Chris, why um, why team up? Why put this this young advisory panel together? I mean, if you read the papers, millennials and below, you know, they can't afford houses because they're buying too much like smashed avocado on the front. So, so, <laughs> so why is there this belief that, that people my age and, and younger can can help change the way that businesses run sustainably? Oh, well, it's interesting you mentioned avocado. I can confirm none of the three young people with us today have had av avocado in the last week. Oh, okay. Well, that's good because it's apparently um, not that good for environment. So, and so uh, yes, they're, they're very good environmentalists. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, I think a lot of the myths are, are not true. Um, even um, Generation uh, Z, which is people born after 1996, um, that generation by 2020 will be the single greatest buying power um, group that, mm. there, that there is. So um, it's going to happen very quickly that, uh, that the younger generation will be the real consumers with, with power um, uh, in, the, in this dynamic of um, take, use and dispose um, system that we, we currently have. Um, why, why I think it's really important to, to ask young people to help us lead in this area is because um, we're seeing increasing well-being challenges. There are um, increasing issues being reported around mental health mm -hmm. issues um, with young people. Um, there are some staggering rates of obesity with very young people in, in London. Um, in uh, Newham, for example, four out of ten young people uh, under the age of ten are obese um, and just overweight. Um, and so um, we think if we have a conversation about what's the life we want to have, um, and what's important to us in that life, it will address some of these well-being challenges as well as environmental challenges. So for example, um, we've done this recently, sat around with lots of groups of young people and asked, what is it that you like, really value in life? Um, and it tends to come down to things like great relationships with my family, um, getting out, being active, being fit and healthy, um, having a hobby I enjoy, a career that I have a passion for, and, um, and, and far less about a house, a flash car, um, a new pair of trainers or a handbag. It's far less about that when you actually look at what people are really, really seeking. So what we think we can do is if we focus on, on the life that we really want in the 21st century, um, it will become less about this consumption dynamic. It will become less about the stuff that we have and more about the person that we want to be and how we want to feel. And that will just lead us to a more, much more sustainable pattern of, of consumption. Okay, that's really, that's really you guys good. might have thoughts about this, and maybe I've 
maybe that's not true and maybe we'll do really want handbags and, and fast cars and, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, nice pairs of trainers what, what do you think no I, I completely agree with you I think um, definitely in in kind of my friend group and, and my family and everything um, we're far more engaged in experiences and going on holidays or day trips and stuff um, and get get way more out of that than we do out of buying things I'm not a massive shopper generally um, so yeah I'd much rather spend my money on an experience mm -hmm. um, you know a day out or something yeah definitely. good meal Exactly, exactly. And is that something you find that your like friend group is is in agreement with better they're more of the experience than the than the ownership? Yeah, I definitely say so. We're as as a group, um, we're far more interested in going to like, you know, um, climbing or um, to the park or just out and enjoying like the outdoors definitely. Um, than going on shopping trips. It's really rare, but then that could be down to the student lifestyle, yeah, living on a, true, on a budget. But um, <laughs> no, I think when we're, when we do have money, we like to put that into having experiences and you know creating memories together rather than buying things. So okay, brilliant. And I think that is. Um that weaves its way back into to the prenup with that, that conscious consumer they realise mm. the purchase isn't necessary it's its experience that you gain mm. from from an activity and I, I suppose it's it's the business job now to uh, to listen so I mean you mentioned you've got to get this out, out to them um, as well but um, are there any other things that, that Gaff and the advisory uh, youth advisory panel are working on um, in, in relation to the wider sustainability sphere? Well there's a really open invitation um, uh, for businesses to have a conversation with the, the youth advisory panel, um, we uh, we started this nine months ago. Um, already, it's already been nine months um, that you guys have been doing this, um, and and everyone's here for, for a sort of two-year term, uh, uh, helping us work out how to tackle the sustainability challenge. Um, what we don't know is quite how best to help businesses. Mm. So, if businesses are looking for some fresh ideas. Um, uh, and some creativity for their uh, thinking about how they want to be providing services and products for the future, then maybe they should have a chat with the Youth Advisory Panel and invite them into to have a conversation with them. Definitely sounds like a good idea. And so nine months you've been, been doing this. Um, I, I suppose the question is, uh, what have you enjoyed most about, about these nine months? There might, it might not necessarily be one key takeaway, but is it just getting a chance to, to think about the future or is it getting a chance to realise what the business will look like tomorrow? Other than meeting Matt Mace. Obviously, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I didn't even have to pay into that. Um, yeah, I think it's being able to meet like-minded uh, young people who kind of um, have similar values and similar thoughts. Um, and then, yeah, having a, a, a real opportunity to create a campaign, uh, which is what we're currently doing now. We're, we're trying to come up with um, where we want our you know, youth campaign to go. Mm. Um, and all of that, all of that, the kind of opportunities that we've had with that have been really amazing. Like it's, it's been a brilliant nine months so far. I'm excited for the rest. Really? <laughs> Anything else to add? Or? Yeah, I think it's just great. Um, kind of many of us have had these kind of views for a while, but we haven't really had a chance to action them anyway. So it just feels good to be at least trying to make some kind of difference rather than just being apathetic. Nice to have the support of people that believe that young people do have the capacity to make a change, which a lot of other people don't necessarily agree with or support, so it does been really good.
Okay, and um, less than nine months, more like one month. But, but Sarah, what, what have you enjoyed most <laughs> most about ED, other than, of course, the, the staff itself? Oh, that's, that's a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, again, it would definitely be the, the connections and the availability to chat to people. I mean, being in an organisation where you can meet the CEO of a company, a really big corporate company, and question them on what they're doing and see the good work that they're doing and direct connection is really valuable. Definitely agree, and I, I feel quite invigorated by the chat. It's been quite positive, which is good because um, two days at the NEC can really can really drain <laughs> you. So I'd like to thank you um, all for, for spending the last, I suppose, 15 minutes of your time uh, chatting to me. and. Uh, yeah, like I said, I look forward to 10 years down the line when we're, or we're interviewing you three as, as the CEOs of these boxes. Um, so, so thank you all for your time. And of course, Sarah, thank you for um, agreeing to, to debut on the podcast. One of many more to come. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Matt. Well, there you go then. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a good podcast, isn't it? I've missed it. Um, I like the sort of, it, it does offer that inspiration, doesn't it? It's a really, really insightful chat. Um, so come on then, we're talking about sustainability skills. You're building a... Let's say you're building a sustainability superhero, you're drawing him or her. What what are the skills that this sustainability superhero has? What's, what's top of your list, Matt? The one that always stuck with me, and I think I first heard this in about 2016, and I'm 90% sure it was from John Koo, Midface Wars, oh, was the, the, say, yeah. the power of empathy. Empathy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. completely being able to understand uh, someone else's concerns, considerations and drivers mm -hmm. and using them to sculpt your own business case for sustainability and present it in a way that benefits them or appeals to them. Mm -hmm. George? It kind of, yeah, the same kind of thing as Max and it's telling a good story. Okay. Uh, so you know that you don't want to be in the echo chamber, you don't want to be presenting things to the board mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms that they don't resonate with. Uh, so maybe it's presenting them with the economic case but being able to like have that conversation with people and you know different areas of the business, being able to speak with them in different ways, I mm -hmm. think the storytelling case is brilliant. Okay, what do you think, Sarah? Anything stood out to you in your first couple of months here? Um, well, the thing that keeps coming up is collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. <laughs> so it's not so much an actual singular superpower rather than a willingness not to go it alone. Like mm. everyone knows that if the world is in trouble, you, you will get more out of the Avengers than just Iron Man by himself. <laughs> um, probably. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a great chat with um, Canary Wharf Group's Head of Sustainability, Martin Gettings. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of the stuff he, he said really proved that sort of saying that um, it's no point. There's no point in patting yourself in the back for making yourself look good on the front if you're not willing to sort of work with your competitors and your supply chain to drive something that's much more broad-reaching than focusing on just your external superhero suit, as it were. That's a great one. Wow. Very, we yeah. just built our own little sustainability superhero there. That's good. What about you, Luke? Uh, yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. Well, it's been well, it has been well covered there. I was just thinking about, I don't know if this is individual super, like a superhero trait, but invisibility? No, no. <laughs> I meant like something like... Um, the ability to challenge, I think, internally, to be able to challenge people in, a, in an effective way seems to be something that I just think back to the interviews I've done or the people I've seen speak over the years. And <clears throat> I think the ones that stand out have got a natural ability to challenge current approaches to stuff in a way that you're on board with what they're saying. One person that did this to us recently, I can't remember who it was, it was either Matt or George, Ronaldo or Messi, we were, we were at, an, at the EDD Leaders Club event and... It was Tony Dunnage from Unilever, 
And he's just quite a... You'd imagine in another life he'd have worked in the military and been a sort of leader and taken you over over the trenches. He just... He had that thing about him. Just this... There was this feeling of, like, he was willing to go there. He's mm. willing to walk the walk and challenge the, the norm to get there. Neither of you remember this chat, no, no, do you? I, I, I think I, I do. Um, and I also see other traits that we've mentioned in someone like Tony Dunn as well, especially the storytelling mm. um, stuff that George mentioned. Like, he's <clears throat> a guy that's full of great stories that you can um, mm. sit down and, and have a chat about sustainability and, and it doesn't feel like a lecture mm. or something. It feels like a, a two-way conversation where you're learning stuff by the minute yeah. and you come away with a kind of greater understanding of what you should be doing as well. Mm. Um, I've, I think I've spoken to Tony three or four times now and each time that's the kind of sense I've come away with. Yeah, Virginie Helias stands out for that as well, mm. someone that just, you ask her one thing and she just nails it in, yeah. one, in one coherent answer and just makes you think, wow. Um, okay, there we go, I've lost my trail, where are we going now? So, um, I guess the inspiration doesn't stop here. Now we're going to um, have some time for some of our regular podcast features, I think they're still regular. So Matt, last time I was on the show we had, uh, we used to do the Innovation of the Week, the Sustainability Success Story of the Week, are these things... Are they still been happening? Are they still happening? Um, yeah, you got it. You got it mostly right. So we did the innovation of the week. It's still a regular feature. We, myself and George, have been doing regular kind of news mm. recaps. Um, less so a story and more more of a kind of trend or theme that we've been noticing amongst the news. Okay. I mean, plastics seems to have been a big one, but I, mm. I remember we've had conversations about EVs and and whatnot. So. Okay. Um, but the successor of the week is um, is, is 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 new. It, it's kind of come from the new Mission Possible Roundup that we're doing yeah. weekly on the website, which goes um, live every Sunday and just outlines, um, well, it's, it's, it's wrong, so it? it does what it says on the tin. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it outlines key success stories across the, the key pillars of the Mission Possible um, strategy. Okay. Um, and that's been overseen, in, especially for the last few weeks, by Sarah. So. Okay, well, all eyes shift to Sarah. So you take this piece on. So do you want to give us your, if you have a standout Mission Possible success story from your roundup this week? Oh, no pressure, seeing as I haven't written it yet. Um, but I've got written down just with sort of all eyes on the sporting world as the World Cup obviously kicks off. Um, standout success story would be for me that the International Olympic Committee has pledged to phase out single-use plastics. Okay. Um, this week, so that's within seven different sporting organisations. Um, they're t- calling it the biggest anti-plastic commitment that sport has ever made. Oh, wow. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, some of the phasing out is happening as early as next year with some of the sailing organisations. Oh, okay. Um, so that would be a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Okay. Um, and, yeah, very fitting, considering the timing of it. Uh, so... Innovation of the week. So we got the yeah, we we we've, we've got we've got innovations are, are plenty, um, and it's a story that's widely gained quite a lot of traction amongst um, national and mainstream media. It's always good when um, energy or um, sustainability innovations do get picked up mm. by a wide array of sites. And this is um, I'm not sure if you're aware of what Microsoft have been up to with their data centres recently. I mean, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, for, for the for the listeners, um, so essentially Microsoft has been exploring ways to reduce the energy consumption of its data centres. Mm-hmm. Any company in the tech kind of sector will know that data centres are very energy-hungry uh, beasts. And so they've been exploring um, just new solutions, the way that kind of reduces the amount of energy needed to cool 
um, the data centers, which obviously get very hot, etc. Um, so instead of investing in like HVAC or something like that, I mean, I'm sure they have as well. They've just decided to chuck a data center in the ocean. And see oh, what okay. I did, did see this. This <laughs> yeah. was national, wasn't it? National news. Yeah. So it's also covered on our website as well. Um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, but essentially, um, Project Natic, as it's known, has seen a kind of small scale uh, data center of about 12 racks um, kind of sunk off the coast of Orkney. Okay. And so there's a load of undersea cables there that are used to power the data center. So it still operates, it's just under under the scene. It's believed that the, the water will essentially cool the overall temperature of it, which then reduces energy costs that way. Yes. And so the data center just runs autonomously. The only issue is if, if, it's, if a computer breaks down there, it can't be. Yes, and isn't there something about if, I'm just jumping straight into the negative or the challenging it, but isn't there something about if it warmed the water slightly, it mm. could potentially damage the local fishery yeah. environment or something there was a risk there even if it was apparently by a few point few sort of um percentages of a degree mm. um it could end up damaging ecosystems yeah so it's, it's an interesting one to keep an eye on it's, yeah. it's down there for about five years i think as well oh, okay. um so if it all goes to plan though they reckon that um like construction and deployment of data centers themselves will go from taking a year to build a facility to 90 days to build kind of you know, small grid modular ones and place them on seabeds. Okay, yeah. well, Sustainable Business Covered Podcast 2023. We'll come back and revisit <laughs> it. Replacing plastic bottles with data centers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, good. So uh, a lot of ground covered off in this podcast. Um, I suppose a lot of ground covered off. So more ground than the entire England midfield against Belgium. There we go. That's another little Terrible. footballing part. Terrible. <laughs> Uh, okay, yes, yeah, so that's enough analogies. Uh, but we did say we were going to be ending uh, with the World Cup theme, with our own uh, World Cup sustainability quiz. That's all I have written down. So I suppose this is actually probably the moment as the as the podcast editor, Matt, you should probably be saying this is by no means an official FIFA quiz. Um, don't want to be getting on the wrong side of those guys. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. We, we have no, no kind of affiliations <laughs> with them um, whatsoever. So Sarah has spent the last couple of days digging through... Um, uh, FIFA's own uh, greenhouse gas emissions report and sustainability report for okay. the Russian World Cup. Right. So ever since I think it was like the Sydney Olympics, which were two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, um. Kind of big sporting events like this have been attempting to be more approachable in terms of environmental uh, stewardship and sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah has a few of them to, okay. to kind of bring to our audience and, and me to um, Luke and George right now. I, I am exempt from this quiz as I have taken part in the okay. feature. How very noble of you. And I don't want to come last in a quiz that I should know the answers to. So. Okay. So. Football's used to corruption, though. So. <laughs> very true. <laughs> so, so what's happening? So what, George versus me for this quiz? Pretty what's much. Pretty okay. much. Right. Well, how many questions have we got? So we've got just three questions. Okay. Right. Is this like a write it down or a first one in or? Shall we do? We'll go for write it down. Write it down. Probably get more sense. Probably going to be whichever one is closer. Seems. And we don't have okay. any, we don't need buzzers either. <laughs> <laughs> That's one for next week. Yeah. Okay. Go on then. So what's the first one? George and I will write them down. Show them to you. Closest wins or whatever is correct. Closest wins. wins. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, so FIFA. FIFA ah. Quizmaster, just taking a moment to breathe and go. Okay, so FIFA estimates that during the week leading up to the Brazil 2014 tournament and then throughout the event, um, that 2.72 million tonnes of greenhouse gases were emitted as a result of the event. Um, 
is the figure going to be lower or higher for Russia? Okay. And what will the difference be? So yeah. 2.7... 2.2 mm. million, was it? No, it was 2.7 million. 2.72 right? oh. million for okay. Brazil. Million tons of CO2 equivalent. It's kind, okay. of a, kind of a brutal so, higher or lower. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so I guess you get a point for each. That would be a good way of doing it. Yeah. A point for if you're right on the higher or lower, and then a point if you're closest. Yeah, the closest yeah. is like a bonus point. Okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> right, so 2.72 million in Brazil. All right, and I'll go with... Um, yeah, I'm done. Further this year? Mm. I'm not giving you any hints. <laughs> <laughs> right, you don't, have you, you gotten your answer? I've got my answer, yeah. Right, okay, so we'll start with a higher or lower. Yeah, should we just say it rather than showing <laughs> it? Mine was, I went higher. Okay. Did you go higher? I went lower. Okay, so is it right, lower? Well, George gets the point because right. predictions, uh, it's on track to be lower by more than half a million tonnes. So, so what, what did you put? I put 1.7. 1.7. Okay, so you're quite close, but because we weren't, you only get the one point because of that rule. That rule <laughs> is a bit strange. You still one more than you. Though. Yeah, still one more. Okay, fine. One nil. Next. Okay, so for the next point... Um, as with any sort of major international sporting event, most of the emissions are predicted to be accounted for by scope three or indirect emissions. FIFA estimating that it's going to be more than 98%, which is huge. Okay, yeah. Um, but of the total amount of greenhouse gas emissions, how much will be caused by international air travel alone? Mm. Okay, that's a good one. This is in Russia, how much emissions percentage-wise caused by air travel? Yes. Okay. So did we have the figure for, for last? <laughs> did we have the figure for Brazil? Air travel or um, not? I haven't got it on no, me. That's no, fine. I'm sure <laughs> <it's> <laughs> trying fine. to get as much information as possible. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, this could be just so far out. Uh, yeah. This just sums up our knowledge for global emissions. Um, okay. Right. Okay. Do you want me to go first? You won't Wait, go I'm changing time. mine. I'm changing <laughs> mine. I'm going a bit. I haven't seen your answer, but yeah, you go first. So we talk percentage. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to go for three quarters, 75%. How about you, Luke? I'm going 58%. Oh, Luke shoots and he scores. Yes. It was 57%. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I did change it as well, so that's good. What did yeah, you change so, it from? Well, 43, so that's probably still mathematically yeah, closer. Still yeah. Okay, so, wow, 50, 57% of emissions from air travel. So you're right with what you said, George. A lot of business travel is, mm. well, not business travel, fan travel, because mm. it's so spaced out, isn't it? That's the thing. Uh, okay, one all. So this is the crucial decider. So this is sudden death. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be turning away from carbon for the last question back to something which I'm sure you, you haven't heard enough about in recent months, which is recycling and packaging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> So at the um, at the 2014 tournament, um, the sort of whole event created 2,371 tonnes of waste, according mm -hmm. to FIFA's official waste tracking document. Mm -hmm. um, but what proportion of that was actually recycled? So 2014 tournament, 2,371 tonnes of waste total generated. How? What proportion, percentage-wise, was recycled? In Brazil, I'm going to... Don't, no, don't <laughs> jump in and tell me. Um Okay. You'd have to question the recycling infrastructure in Brazil. Hmm. <laughs> um, I'm going with... 
Okay. I'm, again, I might just be way out with this. All I think really I'm close. probably way out with this as well. Okay. I've seen your first number. Right. Okay. Who wants to go first? Uh, you go. I'm going to go for 33%. <sighs> okay. Well, oh, that's annoying for me. I'm going for 28%. Oh, Luke just chips it again because actually it was way under both at just 19%. Wow. Less than a fifth. Okay. Um, so the waste tracking figures show that actually only 33% of the waste generated was classed as recyclable within Brazilian infrastructure wow. in the first place, um, which is quite disheartening yeah. in a way. Um, but it does mean that 57% of the stuff that could have been recycled was recycled. Mm, okay. Interesting. Um, and then looking forward to this year, non-recyclable tableware, cutlery, packaging and plastic bags have all been pla- um, banned from the 12 stadiums. So fingers crossed that there'll be a better better yeah. outlook for this year. Interesting stuff. That was a good little segment. We need to do a quiz a week. Quiz Is a there week. a prize for this? Only there's some global event every week we yeah. get a... <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of... We could just do a weekly sustainability quiz. I quite like it. It's now that I've won. I want to go home and cry now. No, I know. <laughs> Stuart Pierce felt a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So um, that's us. Well, I, I suppose... Um, while we're on the subject of the World Cup, we probably should end with our winner predictions. I'd quite like to just get this broadcast to the world among the teams. So they, these can't be changed or attracted. So, Matt, who's your World Cup winner? I'm not firmly that football is always the winner, but um, <laughs> if I had to actually stick my neck on the line. Um, Brazil. Brazil. George. Oh, I can't look past the Germans. Right. Sarah. I'm afraid it's got to be Germany for me yeah. as well. Yeah, okay, that's really boring. I was going to say Germany as well. So one thing, so Matt thinks Brazil, interesting. Collect my winnings uh, yeah. at the semi-final. Yeah, like. well, there you go. And my other hope, though, is Panama, considering the World Cup sweepstake that just took place downstairs from the office, but um, it's not going to happen. Uh, well, there you go, fun's over. So that's a wrap for this episode. Huge thanks to all of the podcast guests in the episode um, and obviously to everyone here. Matt, are you able to shed any light in what's happening next um, episode? Of course, so uh, the green room, which made it Trump returned probably about a month ago now. Yeah, is is back in train, um, and was actually facilitated by by George um, a couple of weeks ago. So we'll be hearing, and I'm not going to say anything more than that because I, I want I want to keep this interesting to, to look out for. It's in the Love Island cliffhanger I'm doing <laughs> right now. Um, but we we do have uh, a few interviews lined up in the world of electric mobility mm-hmm. um, and zero waste, which is kind of a big one right now okay so yeah there we go looking forward to it Um, so uh, until next time it's a goodbye from Matt goodbye goodbye from George (laughs) and from Sarah and then a goodbye from me as well goodbye